you're, if you're visiting, welcome. Um, just to rest assured, I'm not the pastor. I'm not a pastor, um, but I, I have the opportunity to preach today, and it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege. Um, if you have small children, we have the crash. And if people are in the crash, if people, someone could ch- make sure that they can hear the service, that would be great as well. Just make sure that they've got the speaker working in there. Um, I'm going to be putting most of the text on the screen, but you need to get out your Bibles, look in your Bibles for yourself. You know what I mean? You, you, you can't just trust text on the screen. You need to look in the, in the Word yourself. We're going to be looking at Luke 21, verses 1 to 6. And I always give things titles, and I've given it a title, What Are You Looking At? What are you looking at? That's the title today. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, Almighty, Creator of all things. Lord, we, we, we humbly come before you today, Lord, and we, we're so grateful that we can come together in your presence, Lord. Knowing how, how awesome you are, how great you are. You breathed out the stars and, and that same breath you breathed life into man, into dust. And you created us. And you created us for a relationship, Lord. And, and this is part of that, that we can come together like this. And I pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds, Lord, that, that we would receive your word. Knowing that your word does not come back void. Knowing that your word is part of that transforming word that transforms us into your image. That's a continued process while we're here, Lord. And I pray that that's what happens today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that, that anything that I might have in, in myself to say is, is irrelevant and it's only your word that comes out, Lord. I pray, Lord, that I can communicate and articulate what it is you have shown me, Lord, to my, my family, my church family. And that anybody that's visiting, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would also take to heart, Lord, your word, Lord. I pray for change, Lord. I pray for change in, in, in this church, Lord. As much as we pray for change in the country and in the world, Lord, I pray right here at home, it start right here. I pray for change, Lord. I pray for your change, godly change. And let's really commit this morning to you, Lord. You know how I feel physically, Lord. Yet you are, you are my substance. You are sustaining me to stand, let alone preach this morning, Lord. And I thank you for that, Lord. All glory goes to you, Lord. You, 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 are, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And I am just humbled and honored, Lord, that you picked me out of the muck and the rubbish. And you have got me standing in front of people sharing your word. I don't take that lightly. I don't take that lightly. I take that serious. And I pray that anybody here who who takes church lightly, like it's just a thing to do on Sunday because it's good. I pray that you would convict them this morning, Lord. And let them realize what it is to have a relationship with the King of Kings. I heard it said earlier that, that Jesus is coming back. Philip said, Jesus is coming. Yes, and we are seeing by the times. We're seeing the signs. You are coming soon. And you are coming with a mighty trumpet. And when you come, Lord, you, you, those, those who are asleep in Christ will, will, will rise to you. We will rise to you. We are your entourage. The king of kings. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Bless your name, Lord. Thank you for this morning, Lord. I don't take it lightly, Lord. Please, Lord, use me, Lord, to speak to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Luke 21, 1 to 6. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow 
has put in more than all. For all these, out of their abundance, have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now Jesus is at the temple. Um, He's been at the temple. He's been every day. He's teaching and preaching. And recently he's been dealing with the temple rulers and the scribes um, coming trying to test him. They even even sent um, spies or I, I would call them jinnals. I don't know if everybody knows that word. But they, they come in trying to friend him up and be nice with him. And then ask a question to try and trap him. They were trying to trap him so that he would say something either against Caesar or against God. So either way they could get him arrested and, and, and get him stoned. And Jesus dealt with their case like he dealt with all of them. And he said, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and unto God what is God's. You see the coins were stamped with Caesar's image. And humans, we are, we are stamped with God's image. Jesus was being tested, scrutinized. And Jesus ends up warning the, the disciples in the hearing of all the people. And he warns them about the scribes. In chapter 20, verse 46 to 47, he says, Beware of the scribes. Remember, the scribes are there, you know, they can hear him. Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. They love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best fe- places at feasts who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. All of this is going on, and Jesus is in the last week of his life. And he's, he's aware of that. He knows full well. This is the last week by him there teaching. He's there preaching in, in the temple. In his last, This is the last Tuesday before, before he gave his life up for us. In spite of the reality that the spiritual leadership in Jerusalem, they've already rejected him. They've rejected their Messiah, their, their, their Prince of Peace. They're not interested. They were making plans to kill him. They were already, they've already met together and plotted to, to kill him. And the reason they wanted to kill him is in case the Romans came and took away what they had. They weren't interested if he was the Messiah or not because they were happy and content with life. Life was nice and they were living large. And Jesus knew this. In verses 1 to, one to 4 of our text, he was here with his disciples and he watched a certain widow put in two small copper coins. And he concluded that the rich will give out of um, their surplus, but the widow gave out of her poverty and she put more than they did. Why? Because she was totally committed to God. Whereas the leadership who rejected him on this Passover, they were, they were financially rich, but they were spiritually bankrupt. This time before the Passover is when the Jewish leaders would come together and they would inspect the lambs. So the Jewish people would bring the, the lambs which they were going to offer as sacrifice, the Passover lambs. And they would inspect them to see if they were without spot and blemish, were they okay or not. Um, some would be rejected and, and, and some um, would be accepted as, as a, that's a good enough. That's a good enough for, for the offering. So it's not a coincidence that Jesus presents himself at this time to be inspected by all and, and, and ultimately to be rejected by all. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God, as in the definite article. Those other lambs were just lambs. He, he was the actual Lamb of God. And he was now being inspected. The, 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 the leaders come in, the scribes, all the different people come in asking question. The leadership symbolized the spiritually bankrupt nation of Israel. 
And the widow symbolized the believing remnant. And this entire account, when I read, when I've, we've been going through Luke, and you, you, he will teach something and say something, and then an actual real-life scenario will take place that illustrates what he just spoke about. That demonstrates the sovereignty of God. God is in charge. He's in control of all things. God is sovereign. This was like a, some, some like a pre-planned production that you could see rolling out. Do you know what I'm saying? Is that this conversation and then this situation happens? You're like, no, that's just illustrating what I just told you. And this is why you shouldn't cherry pick verses out of the Bible. If you just tick out pieces, you might arrive at spiritual truth, but you might be missing the bigger picture and spiritual riches from, 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 from the whole thing. So this story is often called the, the story of the widow's might or the story of the widow's offering. So Jesus was sitting with his disciples uh, near, near the temple treasury and he's watching people depositing money into the offering receptacles, as we would call them, buckets. And they're putting money into buckets. So the court of women held 13 of these buckets um, and people would cast their money in as they walked by. You can picture that, right? So we see churches have that. They have the receptacle and people drop the money in as they're going in. Um, Jesus watched as the rich were contributing large sums of money, but then along came this widow with two small coins in her hand. The ESV version calls them two small copper coins, which make a penny, Mark 12, 41. The King James version calls them the coins mites. And these were the smallest, um, the, the, I can't say these words, you know, the, the money, denomination, denomination, I've said the accent, it don't work, denomination of coins. The widow put her coins into the bucket and Jesus called his disciples to him and pointed out her action. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Mark 12, 43 to 44. Talking about the same account as Luke. God sees what, what man overlooks. The big gifts in the temple were, were surely noticed by people. It's probably what the disciples were watching, but Jesus saw what no one else did. He saw the humble gift of a widow, of a poor widow. And this was the gift that Jesus thought worthy of coming. This was the gift that the disciples needed to be aware of. The other gifts in the treasury that day made a lot of noise as they jingled in, as they put their money in. Yeah, put the money in. And her little two coin didn't make no noise. But guess what? In heaven, her mites made a big noise. I don't know. It's a test now. I don't know if you recognize any of these coins. This kind of tells you your age, all right? And it will tell you my age as well. I, do, I remember the, the small, smallest brown coin in the middle at the top. That's a half P coin. All the young people are like, what? Half P? When I was a child, you used to be able to buy half P sweets. And you'd go in with a half P coin and you'd buy sweets. It wasn't really good for anything else. But it was good to buy a half P sweet. Or half, half, half of one pence. In, before my time, it was called half a penny. I just want to just establish there's a difference with me and certain people in here. There's an age, you know what I'm saying? I, mean, I, I didn't know about not half a penny. It was half P. That was it. The widow's two mites added up to a penny. Now, according to a man's reckoning, that couldn't buy much in life. It, it was pointless, really. But Jesus said that she had given more than anyone else that day. So how could, they, how could this be? Where many rich people put in large amounts. So the difference is one of proportion. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to interject something. In, in, in America, you, you know, we have the Black Lives Matters 
All right? And then people are saying, yeah, but all lives matter. Unfortunately, proportionately in America, they don't. Statistically, they don't. It's 77% white. So they don't. Because statistically, many more black, black people are being killed by the police. It's very simple. But it's proportionally. So if you just looked at statistics on their own, you may come to a different equation. You may not understand it. When you understand the statistics, that's why I, I just add that bit, because people are really annoying me with this. You know, some people are very, yeah, anyway. <laughs> forgive me, Lord. It's the, it's the, it's the things of, of Facebook, isn't it, you know? They interact and... <laughs> the rich were giving large sums. They were giving a lot to the, to the cause. But they still retained their fortunes. The widow put in everything, all she had to live on. Hers was a true sacrifice. The rich had not begun to give to the level of her sacrifice. Here was a woman in need of receiving charity. She should have come food bank on a Tuesday and received. But instead, she's there giving the little bit that she had. What could a widow's might buy? She gave it in faith that God could use it. Can you see that? The liquid pill, what's the point of putting that in? Because God will do something with it. God will use it. She had faith that God would use it. Her faith was also evident in the fact that she gave the last of her money. She gave all she had. It's like another widow, the widow of Zarephath. A lot of these um, Hebrew and, and Greek words, I will say it like I know how to pronounce it. But I don't really, so don't copy me, okay? So I'm just, I just say it because I don't know how to pronounce that. Zarephath. She gave her last meal to Elijah. Um, and the widow in the temple here gave away her last means of self-support. So does this mean that the widow left the temple completely destitute and went home and then starved to death? No. The Bible teaches us that God provides for our needs. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we don't know the, the details of this particular widow's future, but we can be certain that she was provided for. Just as God provided for the widow and her son in Elijah's day. And you can read about that account in, in um, 1 Kings chapter 17. God also provided for this widow right here in Jesus' day. What's interesting is just before he commented on the, on the widow's might, he, he had talked about the, 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 um, the scribes. And he, he, he said in um, Luke 20, 47, he says, who devour widows' houses. You see, the religious officials of the day, instead of helping the widows in need, were perfectly content to rob them of their livelihood and inheritance. So the system was, was corrupt. 
kind of makes you think of today. And the darkness of their greed makes the widow's sacrifice shine even more brightly. So the widow was looking to God, giving her all to God. Do you only give from your surplus? In other words, do you give God your leftover change? If, I'm, and, and if I speak to you like I'm challenging you, it's because I am, because it's challenging me. Do you understand? And I will ne- I'm never going to say to you something that I'm not prepared myself, but I'm going to put it on you. I'm going to put it on you because it, it, this is what the text is saying. This is what it's telling us. Do you give God your spare change? This is a chart I made. It's not a scientific chart. Did I hear Marcel laugh as soon as the chart went up? It's not scientific. In fact, it means nothing at all, but it's an illustration, all right? You, you understand that? Well, they're all in our sleep. Yeah, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah? So this is a chart, right? Um, there's Missy. Missy not here. I don't want Missy to see it. That's, oh, Lord, there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So the idea of this is to show you what I mean. When I say surplus, I want you to understand what I'm, I'm meaning when I'm saying surplus. Um, now, it's down to you to discern what goes under this, this category, especially the blue section. But this is, the blue section is cost of living. And some people would put entertainment in there, like their TV subscription or something like that. You know what I, mean? I don't know. Um, but basically refers to your basic needs. Utility bills, rent, food, everything that God said he would provide for those who seek first the kingdom of heaven. He said he's going to provide for you. The red on my chart is holidays. Ah, that's a wishful thinking there. But this represents like regular commitments like a yearly subscription or gym, gym subscription or things that you're paying out monthly. Do you know what I mean? The green is sweets. <laughs> that represents anything that you don't need but you're fancy. More want some of that. That's, that's sweets. Finally, the purple. The purple is God. That represents financially what you give to your church. What you give to your church to further the, the work, the work of God. I then simplified this chart. So take this in. You see, you see the chart? You will see it. I then simplified it. You, 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 God. God don't need your spare change on a, on a serious level. He don't need your spare change. He sent his son to die for you and for me. And we want to give him our spare change. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9.7 So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. You don't give to pay for your salvation. You don't give because it's your duty. You give because all you have is his and because you are thankful. All you have is his. We, church, are supposed to sustain our pastors. Financially contribute that they can continue to do what they're doing. They can do the work they're doing. They can give themselves to the study of God's work so that they can feed us the sheep. We ensure that they are fed physically and they ensure that we are fed spiritually. This is a biblical requirement. If anybody's unsure, please, we need, to go, we need to go through the text. It's a biblical requirement. We, Ecclesia, don't do it. Bottom line, we don't do it. We do not do it. 
God does not need your spare change. If you're a member of this church and don't contribute financially, today's the day. Set up a standing order. You'll never hear people talk about money from the front, but I, 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 I'm not the pastor, so I, I will speak. I, I don't business. <laughs> set a figure in your heart and set the thing up. Set up something so you know that, 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 that I am contributing. And guess what? All the rest of it, God will take care of that. God promised to provide for my needs. Let me do that. Trust God to provide for you. I'm not telling you to give and then you'll get back X amount more. I'm not saying sow a seed and reap financially. That's a disgusting attitude that I hear many church talk. Would you ever teach your children give in order to receive? You wouldn't teach your children that. That is not biblical. I'm saying give because you want to please God. Give so your pastors can pastor without having to work other jobs. I, you know, I could say it's shameful. I could actually say it's shameful. We've been a church for so long and our pastors work. <laughs> How are we going to grow as a church? How are we going to reach as a church? How are we, when we ain't doing it here. And that should convict you. And you should go and look at your... Don't go and work out what you can afford to give as your spare change. Don't insult God. You don't need that. Go and look at it properly. And work, well, No, this is what I'm going to give. And I will tell you, because I'm not saying it like I didn't do it. When, when, what was it? Two years ago now. When I was really ill, right, and I was living on my own. Most of you know, and I will talk to you. Don't, you know me, and I will talk it. I was very ill. I was living on my own. And my business fumbled because I couldn't do it. I had no money in. But... I, had a, I, I set a figure every month to come out of my bank to church and I said, nope, do it, done, and I know that God will provide for me. God provide for me. God provide for me. If I financially worked it all out, like, like, like Philip with the fish and bread, I would never, nothing would have happened. I would have said, well, boy, I can't afford to live. I can't do it. Trust God. I'm not saying being, being foolishness. God has given you provision to pay your rent, to pay your things, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm saying pay your things. But set an amount and then trust God. Don't be reckless with God's provision. Be thankful and honor that by paying your bills on time. But examine your expenditure and trust God's provision. So someone says, yeah, but your tithe is not just financial. You can give in other ways. We're not talking about tithing. Tithing is not a legal requirement under the new covenant. And you go and study that if you're not sure about that. Go and study, because people teach you all the time, tithe, tithe, tithe. is not, tithe, tithe? It may be a word we use for it, that's cool. There's a good principle, give 10%, nice principle. Go and study that for yourself. If you think tithing is a, is a legal requirement now, go and look in the word and study it. Well, then you say, but you can still give in other ways. It doesn't have to be financial. All you have belongs to him. All. Not just your finances, but not excluding your finances. We have to give all. Someone said that where your finances are is a good example of where your heart is. If you look at your bank balance and you look at all the things you're spending your money on, it's a good example of where, where your heart is. And I guarantee you that if we all did that and put that, we'd, we'd, we'd probably be like, ooh, what part of the church am I? Where am I, where am I, doing? Where am I, where am I being a Christian in my life? What, what, what? Verse 5. Then... As some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that will not be thrown down. 
So the temple was first built in um, Jerusalem by King Solomon, and it was a beautiful building. After Solomon's reign came many wicked kings that reigned in, in Israel. I'm not going to read them out because, see, these are the kings that, that reigned on the, on the screen. You probably can't even read it. Oh, you can. It's clear. Um, when King Solomon died, his son, I'm going to pronounce the name now, Rehoboam, Rehoboam, Boem, Rehoboam, his son succeeds him. However, 10 of the tribes of Israel, they refused to accept him as king. And that split the, 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 the kingdom, the united monarchy, into the northern um, kingdom of Israel under Jeroboam. While, the, while Rehoboam continues to reign over the much smaller southern kingdom of Judah. Okay, are you with me? So it's been split in half. Did you all know that already? Yeah? Okay. Israel had no good kings. Not one. This is the list. And on the list it says bad, bad, good, good. and they, they didn't have any good. And Judah only had, all those kings, they only had about five. I'm not sure the exact figure. I just went through it and I, and I worked towards about five good kings in the sight of God. Ultimately, Israel repeatedly rejected God. And the result was that the temple was plundered many times. All the gold and beauty was stripped out of it. Anything of value was taken. The final plundering of the temple occurred in 597 BC by, by a man called Nebuzaradan. And you can believe it, he, he was one of the generals for Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? And then it was, it was burned by him and his generals in 587 to 586 BC. Herod the Great came to power in 37 BC. So 37 years before Christ. He determined that he would please his Jewish subjects and show off his style of kingship to the Romans by making the Jerusalem temple bigger and better than it had ever been. And he succeeded in doing that. It was considered one of the most beautiful buildings in, in the world. Josephus, who is a historian, said that the stones that Herod used to build the temple were 35 and a half foot long, 12 foot high and 18 foot thick. Now, for a long time, historians read that and they were like, mm, he's, he's, he's exaggerating just a little bit. It's an exaggeration. But as archaeological work went on, as it progressed, they found stones that formed the retaining wall of the Temple Mount that proved his accuracy. Some of them were as long as 45 foot. That's, that's massive. The picture there, I mean, that, that, that's, that's not even half of that. That's not even, what's that? That's probably about what, 12 or 18 foot, maybe, being generous. 45 foot, that's what the stone's like. And these stones were cut in a quarry and then brought up. They, were, they weren't cut on site because this is holy ground. They was cut and brought up. That's how you have the, the whole the cornerstone because the first stone that came was rejected, etc. Um, 45 foot, it's, it's just mad. So these people were commenting on the beauty of this temple that was built by Herod the Great. So Jesus' response to them probably blew their minds when he declared in verse 6, These things which you see... The days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. This was a prophecy. Jesus was referring to what would take place 37 and a half years later in AD 70 when Titus would come in and destroy the temple. This is history. This is a beautiful thing about the Bible. The Bible was written by man. Okay. <laughs> okay. How, you know, this is whatever. You've got prophecies, you've got historical accounts. The Romans went in and destroyed it 37 and a half years later after Jesus had said that's going to happen. Now Caesar happened to be in Jerusalem at the time of the siege of Jerusalem. 
Um, it was undertaken by the, to- the 10th Roman Legion, which was under the leadership of Titus. And Caesar happened to be in the Antonio Fortress at the time of the siege, which is adjacent to the Temple Mount. And it's important to know that Caesar, Caesar was there. Because the magnificence of this building, the, the troops were ordered by Caesar to not destroy the temple. So that it might stand as a monument to the building of the genius of Rome. This is how empires work. You've you, you got to see that. They, 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 they divide, conquer, they take over. And if it's really good, they will claim it and it's ours. That's, that's, that's empire. That's how empires work. We live in, the, in one of the last great known empires, or not so great, depending on how you view history. So Caesar is there, close by, and Caesar has said, don't destroy it. But, but all the people had see, gone in there for refuge, all the Jews, and, and they set fire to the temple, and they burnt it, and the heat was so intense that the gold began to melt. And the soldiers moved by greed, began overturning the stones to get at the gold, despite the command from Caesar. And all the people inside were, were, were burnt, and they, and they turned the stones over, getting out, getting out all that gold. Now, this, this important here is that, is that when God says something's going to happen, you don't business about no Caesar being on site. It don't make no difference. What he said is going to happen is going to happen. And that, that's, what, that's why I kept mentioning about Caesar. It's very important to see that. God's word is true. If you go to the Temple Mount today, you will, you will see there's not one stone standing on top of another. Again, we see men looking at the physical holding it in such high regard, things that are, are temporary and not everlasting. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So how, how do we see with spiritual eyes? Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. We are to cultivate the presence of the Lord through worship, through prayer, through obedience. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, wherever things are true, wherever things are noble, wherever things are just, wherever things are pure, wherever things are lovely, wherever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Position yourself to see. Stop looking at the wrong things and start looking at the right things. Resist the distractions. See, I, go, I go on Facebook to, to, to post a, a scriptural something, you know what I mean? I go, I go on there, open it up because I want to post something godly and then the timeline, the timeline, time, and I'm gone for like half an hour. And then, I, and then I turn it off and I forgot, oh, what did I go in there for? Resist the distractions. So here's some things um, to not look at. Don't look back at the world. I'm not going to read all of the scriptures, but I'll give you a couple. Lot's wife. Um, Genesis 19:26. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Luke 9:62. But Jesus said to him, "No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God." Do not look at your circumstances with fear. Remember Peter when he stepped out of the boat, and he's looking at Jesus, and he's walking towards Jesus, and then he, he looked at the storm around him, and it starts sinking. Don't look at the enemy. Don't just focus on the enemy and the attacks of the enemy. Do you remember the story of Elisha and his servant? 
And they're in the city, and, and, and you can read about it in the scripture there. But they're, they're in the city, and the, and the servant's panicking now because the army has surrounded the whole city. And Elisha prays, God, open his eyes so he can see the great army. And then he sees the army, God's army around them, encompassing them. Do not focus on the faults of others. Matthew 7, 3. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? We can do that here. We can, we can be a member of this church and, and complain and moan about it. Well, I don't like the way they do this. I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't. I, I could, I could, I'm sure everyone will tell you. I, I've got many things I moan about. But do something about it. Be a change. What about things we should look at? Jude verse 21, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We look at the harvest, John 4, 35. Do, not, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, look to Jesus lest we become weary and faint in our minds. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep looking to the cross for, for healing and deliverance. Look to the one seated on the throne. Look at the birds of the air to see God's provision. And you know I tell that story. I tell that story of being in our house and we just got the house and, and we ain't got no money and we ain't got no food. And I'm thinking, well, how, are we, how are we even going to do this? Missionary life? I don't, how is this going to work? And I look out the window and I see this bird, this big black bird, and he got on the thing and he puffed up his chest. And, and, and he didn't care about nothing. He didn't have to worry about nothing. And that is stuck with me. And I told my family and they make fun of me because I do this thing when he puffs out his chest. But God cares for the birds and he, he, he looks after them and he feeds them. He died for me. He ain't going to look after me. You're mad. Look at the eternal things. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Look to your reward. Hebrews 11, 24, 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. Look to your redemption. We are told by Jesus that you are see the signs of the times. We are in the signs of the times. We must learn and understand what, 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 where we are right now. Jesus is coming back. When we see all these terrible things going on in the world and these disasters and these things are overwhelming us, we are to be grieved, but not to be grieved to, to paralyze us from, from, oh, what's the point? We're to be grieved, but we're to say, he, he's coming. It's getting like this means he's coming. He's on his way. Our Redeemer is coming and he's coming to take us. 
There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. 2 Peter 3, 12 to 13. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, to his word, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The widow gave all she had, knowing God would take care of her needs. Give all you have to God. Give him your life. Give him your finances. Give him your time. Give him your all. We, we, did, the, we did the HMS thing in here yesterday. So we have to come. We have to, we have to set up the chairs in the morning. We have to put, bring the speaker boxes, lift them, and da-da-da-da-da. I'm broken. And I'm not joking. Those that know me know the health issues that I suffer with. I feel physically broken. But God sustains me. What I should have done, feeling the way I feel, was stay at home in bed today, call up, say, nah, I've done all I can now, I can't do it. So what, what am I doing? I'm stepping into my surplus. I'm giving, after I've given all I can, then I'm giving. That is what we are to do. So we're not just talking about your finances, although we are talking about them. And don't put them aside thinking, well, I can serve. You need to give your finances. We've we, we, we got people that need to be provided for. Why are they going hungry? And they wouldn't because God is providing. But you, you, you have to take your responsibility. But give from yourself. Don't just give that alone. And don't give, don't give spare change. That's an insult. Have you got any spare change, please? You, God, don't need your spare change. And we're not just talking about the finance. We're talking about what you give, what you serve, who you're loving. Who have you shared the gospel with? Do you only share the gospel when it's comfortable? When their surroundings are just right? Or do you step out of that comfort and be like, no, I'm giving out of myself. I'm going to give. I'm going to forget the surface. I'm, I'm going I'm to give. I'm going to step out. I'm going to do it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What are you looking at? People use that, and they, 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 these, 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 I've got nothing but bad word for them, you know. These preachers will use that. And talk about all these things like all these material wealth and, and riches. Lying to you. Lying. And it's bring any one of them and I'll tell them they're a liar. It very clearly in the verses preceding that tells you it's talking about your basic needs. Your Lord God will look after you. And you don't need to worry. Abundant life is being content. If you can be content in all situations, you have abundant life. And it's amazing. What are you looking at? Romans 12:1 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable service be like the widow give all you have trusting God to take care of your needs remember we're not talking about tithe we're not talking about financial offering although your heart should lead your offering we're talking about all of you your existence Give it to the king. Give when you've got nothing left. When there's nothing left to give, give. That's sacrifice. If you're just going to give from your abundance, there's no, where's the sacrifice? Look at your, and I tell you, start with your finances. I'll, I'll chat about finances all day. Talk, look at your finances. What, are you, what have you purposed in your heart? You know what? I'm going to put this down. I'm going to do it. 
and then God will provide. God created man for a relationship. Sin separated us from God and mashed up that relationship. God loved us so much that he sent his only son to come and live the perfect life and lay down his life in the worst way. That's death on the cross. Now, let, let me listen. Let me. What's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the wages of sin? Huh? Death. death is the wages of sin. Did, G, did Jesus sin? So should Jesus have died on, 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 on a very practical, like, scientific level? He shouldn't have died. And no one took his life from him. He gave up his life for us, the perfect man. By believing that Jesus died and rose from the grave, by declaring with your lips that he is Lord of your life, you are saved from the penalty of sin, which is death. Not physical death, but spiritual, eternal separation from God. Hell. We are called to be living sacrifices. That sounds grim. It sounds like, mm, how can you be a living sacrifice? Because you died to self. Dying to self is the greatest thing you could do in your life. Because all self wants to do is please self. Self and your own self is not even interested in you. <laughs> self will consume you. It will chew you up and spit you out. The world is playing you, especially our young people. It's lying to you that this is good, that is good, the music, everything is, 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 is feeding you lies. You, and you, you, have, you, you, have to, you have to, we used to say, you know, like when, when you get in a certain mood, you say, well, I'm going to get ghetto on you. Don't make me get ghetto on you. You have to get ghetto with this. Have the attitude that, no, no, I am serving the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the conquering line of the tribe of Judah. He is my king, and he has called me his son. I was in muck, and he picked me up by my hand. I wasn't looking for him. He picked me up by my hand. He put a cloak around me and a ring on my finger. He restored my life. He restored my life twice over, and many of you are witnesses to that. That's the God that I serve. That's the God that we serve. Don't try holding on to things for yourself. Give it to, give it to him. Would the worship team like to come back up? What are you looking at? Look to Jesus. Seek the kingdom of God before all things. Surrender your all to God, not just your surplus. Don't give of yourself, your time, your skills, your finances, etc. until it becomes uncomfortable and stop. At that point, give more than ever. Give of your all. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.